Welcome to Sibylline Podcasts, part of our insight series where we aim to provide relevant, timely and actionable analysis in a discursive format. We hope you enjoy listening and welcome any feedback. Please visit our website for more insight series updates. And as always, like, subscribe and share. Hello, welcome, and thank you everyone for joining us on this week's installation of our Insight Series podcast. I'm going to be joined by Hugo Yu and Aidan Mordecai, our lead analyst and analyst for Asia-Pacific, respectively, as they discuss some issues going on with India and China, where troops there had another clash in uh, disputed border areas this past week, this time in northern Sikkim. According to Indian media reports, the brawl, as it's described, resulted in a number of injuries on both sides. Although such claims um, have not been confirmed either by the Indian army or by Chinese government, this latest incident occurs amid already heightened tensions at the border following a fatal mass melee at Galwan Valley in June of last year that led to the deaths of 20 Indian soldiers and an unconfirmed number of Chinese casualties. Hugo and Aiden, thank you so much for joining. Let's go ahead and jump in. Certainly. Hello, Greg. So there has been a lot of conflicting accounts between you know, the official statements by the Indian Army issues uh, this week, this Monday, and media reports from both countries, India and China. So essentially, according to Indian media, which has reported extensively about this clash slash minor standoff, is that there, there was a physical fight between troops of the two countries patrolling the border when Indian troops tried to confront the Chinese attempting uh, to in, uh, uh, enter their controlled territories. And uh, the brawl resulted in a number of in- injuries um, and few Indian media quoting 20 Chinese soldiers injured on, on, on their side, uh, and there appear to be um, no firearms involved and no fatalities. But having said that, both Chinese media has and Indian army has not confirmed the such account, such claim of physical fight, uh, and indeed the casualty numbers. Both are saying it was just a minor standoff and resolved very quickly by uh, local commanders on the ground. And Chinese media went even further of accusing Indian media of uh, fabricating uh, the casualties numbers, fabricating the events, and and, uh, sensationalizing in their reports uh, of what essentially was a a minor standoff, you know, taking quotes from the statement uh, issued by the Indian army. So looking from outside, we don't know, you know exactly what happens. There could potentially be a, a, a physical fight and there could potentially be some uh, injuries. But uh, I think it's, we, we feel more confident to say that this incident is, by, uh, is nowhere near as significant as uh, the, the, the mass melee took place uh, last June, which resulted in, you know, 20 fatalities on, on Indian side and also uh, on confirmed number of uh, Chinese casualties as well. Perfect. Thank you, Hugo. So 
Given the already high tensions along the border and, and the long-running territorial disputes, understanding that this doesn't have the the impact of of the multi-casualty incidents of the recent past, you know, what does or or what would make this incident uh, have uh, such key significance this time? Yes, so uh, I think the main significance is such incident, whether it's just a minor standoff or indeed a, a, a physical fight as reported by Indian media, it, it, it highlights the tense and volatile situation along the disputed border between China and India. And also it highlights the growing animosity between the two sides, controlling the border and competing strategic positions. And, and such move uh, made even more complicated by the fact that a lot of these borderlines are known as line of actual control are demarcated and changes seasonally due to the shift of river flows and ice cap in the high Himalayas. So that makes a very tricky position when both sides trying to compete maybe uh, same piece of a uh, very strategic, very important land. And, you know, it happened, uh, it, it increased the risk of clashes such as this. But granted, the reason for this being picked up, it was because it was extensively reported by in Indian media and the Indian army felt it had to uh, send up an official statement and, and commenting on, on the events. But it is worth noting that both Beijing and Delhi, especially uh, from the ministry's uh, perspective, has been trying to downplay the insignificance of the, this incident and saying that this is a minor sort of a, uh, standoff that happens in, in quite regular, regular intervals uh, along this um, you know, disputed border and uh, highlighting it was quickly resolved and there was no more to uh, about it and, and definitely didn't mention any sort of casualties in, in their official uh, statements or official response. So that shows, you know, neither side has any sort of uh, appetite to um, a, in conflict escalation. As a result, you know, we, we think that the risk of this developing into a, a larger or perhaps more higher intensity conflict uh, remains, uh, still remains quite remote in that sense. So uh, in terms of imp direct implication, direct security implication to the, 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 the regions and to uh, business operated in the region, that still you know, uh, remains you know, pretty much under control and remains the same uh, as we see before. Uh, terrific, thank you. I think it's very interesting to notice the difference in commentary between the Indian media and military. How do we see the population reaction kind of playing out to this, considering that anti-China sentiment is already, you know, running running quite high? Um, any thoughts on that, Aiden? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, and there's been a distinct difference between how this episode has been uh, received by the public and the press and the government compared to the incident in June that Hugo was saying, which, which of course was, wow, a lot bigger. Also, a lot more speculation revolved around it, a lot more reports, whether true or not, a revolved incident, and it became a very public issue, whereas this one 
was uh, quietened down uh, quite quickly by the military. And, and it seemed almost that if the media didn't get, I guess, a sense of it happening, because we believe it happened last week, the Indian military or the official sources wouldn't possibly have never um, publicized it or not publicized it, at least for a longer period of time. I think there's a couple of reasons why this is. On, on one hand, you know, we have a busy Newsweek in India, we, we have the, you know, the launch of, of a hugely ambitious vaccination campaign, plus the ongoing uh, farmer protests have uh, escalated to probably their, their, their highest point of unrest uh, in this week. And um, on the other hand, I do think there's a strong desire from the central government to avoid the level of scrutiny and the level of attention that um, this issue, um, this border issue attracted uh, last month because I think it, it partly got out of hand for the central government and there was you know, a lot of appetite for maybe a desire from the public for the Indian government and the Indian military to take a, a more assertive position in the, in the region, one which uh, I believe the central government and, and the military wasn't willing or, or able to, uh, to do at the time. And, and I still believe uh, you know, they still would like to avoid escalation in that area. So for those two reasons, I think that's why we have seen a, a vastly different um, reaction to this episode. Thank you. In light of, of the reaction there, do we see a, a specific impact to ethnic Chinese and Chinese commercial interests in India right now in terms of risks in political harassment, interruption to operations, uh, you know, on, on the civil side, you know, boycotts, vandalism, uh, any, anything like that? It doesn't seem to have a sparked the same reaction this time around, but I do think the whole dispute at the border has set in place a long-term trend when it comes to uh, political scrutiny and um, public scrutiny on Chinese interests, Chinese commercial interests and and ethnic Chinese people within India. We've seen um, the government move away from or looking to reduce its dependence on China economy, which is a huge dependence. And whereas before maybe we would have witnessed debate about whether maybe India should uh, try and partner closer with China, considering it is such a large economy. And of course, what it's one of its closest neighbors. That debate is largely dead, I believe. It's now moved to how, how can we di- diversify away from China? How can we counter Chinese influence? And that will s- set in long-term repercussions for Chinese businesses in, in the area. And we've seen that with scrutiny at the border, over the last uh, six months, uh, extra customs checks, scrutiny on investments coming in from um, regulatory bodies and, and uh, local state governments, as well as the central government. These will probably be a, a long-term trend. And uh, while it won't have a immediate impact on, on we're, we're, I'm not expecting, and, and no one is expecting a immediate disconnection or a decoupling, yeah, to use that word, from the in Chinese economy is just too dependent at this point for, for such a sharp change to be made, particularly at this time where the economy is particularly vulnerable. I wouldn't expect this particular episode to heighten those sentiments further. But as Hugo said, um, you know, this is, a, this is going to be an ongoing issue and uh, the presence of multiple military resources at the border, the likelihood of a, another episode happening, possibly uh, that uh, escalates the issue further, it's possibly uh, more serious, is arguably likely at this point.
focusing in on uh, the concept of I, I I like your your identification of, of diversification rather than decoupling mm -hmm. as, as, a, as a better descriptor in a, in the longer term in, or strategic perspective that does this suggest then more of a, a positive risk or, or opportunity then for North American or European multinational corporations uh, doing business in India in that longer term type of horizon um, or other organizations like you know, and NGOs and, and others who, who may already be engaged in operations there? Uh, I think definitely that could be the case because India still needs a lot of investment in, in a lot of areas. Their economy is, needs growth at this point. It's, a, it's got a large population that needs to maintain high levels of employment to sort of achieve the, the necessary goals they want economically. And with less competition from um, Chinese investment, as well as the scrutiny of the Indian um, uh, government authorities on Chinese investment, there's less appetite from China as well. They, they're, they're now uh, aware of the risks that come with investing or partnering in India or with Indian companies. And with that becomes more opportunities for Western companies that want to either partner with an Indian firm or invest in India. Saying that India remains a difficult investment environment for, for unrelated factors. And while this may accelerate attempts to reform the investment environment, I wouldn't expect those reforms to proceed very rapidly, as is usually the case with um, India, which is an incredibly complex country in terms of bringing in new or uh, liberalizing certain regulations. And other than that, I think there's also opportunity for those looking to export to India, because um, India would also be looking to maybe move some of its uh, supply chains, which are very heavily reliant on China at the moment. This includes, you know, uh, components for tech assembly, uh, components to uh, make machinery as they try and build infrastructure and capital base. For NGOs, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect this would offer any more opportunities. In fact, if anything, India is becoming a less friendly environment for NGOs, again, for unrelated reasons to the China-India dispute. But while there, there is some certain positive possible opportunities for Western companies looking to expand their presence in India and, and take advantage of what is already and what will become an even larger market. In, in the short term, while you know we have this volatile relationship between China and India with possible scrutiny at the, from custom, customs officials on, on Chinese goods or on the supply chains from China between China and India could... Uh, emerge in, in short term in reaction to um, what is happening at the border. Any company that's reliant on Indian products that would be reliant on supply chains on China or would will be a greater exposed to, to that risk and, and should, uh, should be aware of that. The point that Adam made, the excellent point Adam made on the difficulties uh, of reforms in India as we can see, the you know the, the the ongoing protests, farmers' protests against agriculture regulatory reform, which um, you know Delhi says it would uh, liberalize the market and open up the agriculture uh, tradings to uh, bigger corporations and and potentially foreign investment as well. That that has uh, re, you know been met with fierce oppositions by the farmers, and that's just our best best example to illustrate the point. 
Wonderful. Thank you both very much. I, as always, learn learn quite a bit from both of you, and I'm, I'm sure our clients and friends and listeners do as well. So again, my uh, my, my deep thanks, and look forward to chatting uh, with, with you both again soon. Thank you, Brick. Thank you very much. And now I'm joined by Amy Reynolds, our deputy head of our Insight team of analysts based in the UK. Uh, Amy, thanks so much. You're going to share with us some of your thoughts on our uh, look ahead for the for the upcoming week. What's on your mind in terms of what you think we need to be uh, watching out for? Thanks, Greg. Well, starting with this weekend, the 30th and 31st of January, we expect further pro-Navalny protests to take place in multiple cities across Russia. Um, we're anticipating some pretty large-scale gatherings, um, as was the case last weekend as well, especially in major cities like Moscow and St. Petersburg. Um, and clashes between protesters and the police are likely there as well. And in addition to the physical disruption, social media platforms and other businesses that may be seen as in some way facilitating these demonstrations will come under increased pressure and are at risk of being penalized by the authorities. Then also concerning uh, social unrest, there is a risk of major and potentially violent anti-government protests in the coming days in Honduras, where President Hernandez is facing further US charges regarding collusion with drug cartels. The widespread nature of this corruption, um, which also includes police and army personnel, is really fueling public anger in the country. Um, which is then being compounded by frustration at the increasingly desperate economic situation. Last week, for example, 9,000 Honduran would-be economic migrants attempted to walk to the US um, via Guatemala, but the majority would then turn back at the border. While at the same time, rates of malnutrition in the country are you know, recorded climbing ever higher. Uh, so popular anger is, is certainly simmering and that there is a good chance that this will manifest as public protest. Okay, thank you so much. And I know we also have our eyes on uh, a couple notable elections on the horizon. What are you looking out for there? Yes, indeed. Um, so in Bangladesh, the third and final phase of municipal elections will be held on the 30th of January in multiple locations throughout the country. And other recent votes in Bangladesh have been accompanied by some violence as the opposition has accused the ruling party of unfair electoral practices. So security will certainly be tightened around this date, um, as there is a risk of, of some protests and potentially violence, particularly in the vicinity of polling stations and government buildings and the like. And then to, to end on a kind of somewhat more positive note, potentially, in Libya on the 1st of February, political blocs in the country will begin voting on candidates to form a transitional government. And if this process succeeds, it's one notable step closer to holding an election in December. And we could therefore start to see some meaningful progress towards ending the violence in the country and boosting oil exports. Thank you as always, Amy. I really appreciate that heads up in the week ahead. To our clients and friends and listeners, thank you so much for spending some time with us. If you have any questions, as always, please do not hesitate at all to reach out and contact us directly to extend the conversation. And we look forward to talking to you again next week. Thank you so much. <music>